Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Today, in this brief communion meditation, I would focus our attention upon a single verse. A verse that must have been most difficult, heartbreaking even, for James to write. It's today's key text. Just one verse. James chapter 1, verse 21. It says, Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Last week we looked at the second half of that verse as we were applying it to the theme of anger, how we overcome it. And we just jumped right over the first two lines of that verse. Well, today here we are, jumping into those two lines. Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. I say that it must have broken James' heart to write that, because it would break the heart of any pastor, of any Christian parent, who would feel the need to write such a thing to those they love. You see, we need to be clear here. I want you to understand that verse is not phrased as a warning. James is not warning them and us about something. If he was, he would have said something like this. Don't allow anything morally filthy or evil to establish itself in your life. A warning. But that isn't what he wrote. That verse is phrased as a command. A directive. Saying, remove. Remove the morally filthy stuff and the evil stuff that is in your life from your life. That's hard to write to somebody you love. That would be incredibly hard for James in the first century who had seen all the glorious work of God right there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And then seen the persecution begin where his beloved flock was just scattered throughout the the Roman region surrounding Jerusalem. And then perhaps to hear some things and to feel he needs to write some things all the things we've studied so far, he's been writing to them, but, but then he, has to feel, he feels he must write this. Get rid of. Get out of your life stuff that's in your life that doesn't belong in your life. And he identifies a couple of categories. Moral filth and evil. So as we read that today, all these years later, 
I'm saying this morning that verse, sad to say, lays out three duties of a maturing believer. And that's what every one of us, I trust, would identify ourselves as, maturing believers. James early in the letter said that his whole plan is that we might come to perfection, not sinless perfection, but completion, to be a finished product to the glory of God, to the, to the glory of our Savior. And if we're going to become a finished product, after mentioning other things that can really tarnish that, that shiny finish on any product, James then gets to this. And I find in this one verse, three duties that you and I have to put on the list. Things we need to do regularly if we're going to continue to mature toward the goal that Christ has for us. You see, James is really saying, as much as we hate to admit it, if we want to mature in Christ as maturing believers, we must become skillful in what I've called today, handling ugliness. It'd be nice not to have to do that. But the reality is, if we want to continue to grow and become what Christ would have us be, we need to realize we need to learn how to handle, at various times, what we're calling today and what James called ugliness. The very ugliness that would bring our progress along that pathway to perfection to a shocking halt. It's not a stretch. It's not a stretch to suggest that it's this kind of ugliness that is responsible for the less than fulfilling lives that far too many Christians live. These three duties that James identifies and that we're going to identify today must remain on our to-do list. It must be there until the day the Lord calls us home. Let's just wait a moment and see if he appears right now and calls us home. It'd be nice to go home now and have him just finish the job for us then for us to realize there's some heavy lifting for us to do on his behalf. I suspect we're going to have to put them on our list and pay attention to them so that we don't get derailed in his desire to mature us. So here they are. Three duties. Number one, rid yourself of all moral filth. Now that's James' term. Moral filth. That's a disgusting term, isn't it? Let me tell you, this is the only verse in the entire Bible where that term, that Greek word, is used. So if you were doing a word study, you couldn't look up the 15 times it's used in the New Testament and get an idea what he's talking about. It's the only time in the entire Bible that this Greek term is used, even when they translated the Old Testament into Greek. Not found there. I believe that James chose it for its shock value. You ever say something you just want to shock people? They say, wow, 
I guess she's really serious. I've never seen her talk that way before. Moral filth. Now, here's the truth. All sin is filthy stuff in God's eyes. Perhaps some of these believers that James is writing to, perhaps some of them had actually fallen into lifestyles that would appear filthy in anybody's eyes. How easy that is to do. How easy, once we let down our guard and allow what we consider to be only mildly dirty, to enter our minds and our mouths. Far too many professing Christians today use language and think thoughts that the believers of a generation ago would have considered appalling. Far too many professing Christians today engage in behaviors that those same believers of an earlier day would have just considered absolutely immoral. Cleansing is necessary. The Apostle Paul was certainly agreeing with James when he gave this directive to the Corinthian church. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, he just says, let us, let us purify ourselves. You don't, you don't need to purify yourself unless you're impure. These guys that wrote the Bible, and as the Holy Spirit inspired them, it's like the Holy Spirit actually knew people pretty well. He didn't get taken in by just Sunday morning smiles. He didn't get taken in by thinking the whole story of our lives can be seen when we're at our best, on our best, talking our best, doing our best, being with our Christian friends and acting like, wow, we've really got it flowing in our life. Paul says, let us. He was including himself. Let us purify ourselves, meaning probably every single believer under heaven has something that needs to be cleaned out of their life. A thought, a deed, an action, a word. Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. How many of you have ever done spring cleaning and actually got it all done? And when you got done doing your spring cleaning, a realtor came by and says, wow, it looks like a professional stage, this place. What a house, what a house. No, you'd probably say, well, I did get that out of here, and I did get that out of here, but wow, I can't wait till next spring. Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and soul or spirit. Let me just say, What timing? Communion is a perfect time for us to bring out the scrub bucket and remove the filth of sin from our hearts and our minds. Rid yourself, James says, of all moral filth. And then secondly, he says, and here's a second item on our duty roster, rid yourselves of the evil that surrounds you. Now, if there's one thing that we'd all agree with, 
it's that we today are surrounded by evil. We could all make a list, couldn't we? This wonderful, godly, Christian country that just runs on the principles of God's word, where society as a whole, whole just practices basically the tenets of the Sermon on the Mount, and we watch out for one another, and we love one another, and we lend to one another, and we care about one another, and not so much. Some of us grew up in this country at a time when you didn't even lock the doors of your home. And if you found somebody when you got home wandering around in your house, it was probably a neighbor that was bringing over a, a plate of cookies that she had just cooked or baked. Not so much these days. We're surrounded by evil. And beyond just sinful behaviors, there is a denial even in this great country of ours with its wonderful history, there is a denial today of God's standards and God's truth everywhere we look. The major institutions of our land, the government, school, family, even church to some degree, have become identified with perverted policies and practices. We are bombarded by propaganda that is absolutely demonic in its origin and intention. Separation is necessary. James says, rid yourself of the evil that is so prevalent. Well, we can't just change our society by saying, I'm, I'm just going to tell those people what are, what is. We're going to make it right. We're going to take back this country for Christ. And then you realize this country was never given to Christ in the first place. And the unbelievers are believing that Christ has no more voting privilege in this country than the devil does. It's a land where the will of the people, whatever it is, is what winds up being. So to rid ourselves of the evil doesn't put us on some political crusade. To rid ourselves of the evil is to remove ourselves from the practice and the belief and the, and the viewpoints of that which is around us. Once again, the Apostle Paul backs up James. Hear what Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers who were also surrounded by evil. He says, 2 Corinthians 6.17, Come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Any, every individual has to decide, to what degree am I linked to things that are really ungodly? To what degree am I intimately involved with people who deny God, who despise him and his principles? To what degree can I just separate myself from that lest they all believe I'm in agreement with them. These would be individual decisions because every one of our circumstances is different. The Holy Spirit needs to lead us and guide us and, and give us courage in the midst of it, but the point of it is believers in an ungodly world need to come across as different. Not angry, not nasty, not prideful, 
different, godly, righteous, honest, truthful, dependable, all the characteristics that that made Jesus such a winsome individual, speaking truth but doing it with love, and always wanting to bring the other one out of that ugly cesspool Because see, Paul also says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, just a few verses before, verse 14, he says, for what fellowship? What fellowship can light have with darkness? Think about that. When light and darkness gets together, what happens? Yeah, either the light makes the darkness visible, brings light to it, or the light quits shining and becomes dark. But you can't have light and darkness walking together as though they're paired up. There's no fellowship that light can have with darkness. They're absolutely opposite. So the thing is, the society can be evil without us being evil. Isn't that so? So let's not attack society. Let's clean up our act. Become light. The darkness will be dark forever until little by little God can intervene in it and individual, just like we once were part of that and the grace of God brought us out of it and he gave us new life. And James and Paul are really saying, don't don't let what for you was once light become darkness. Wherever darkness has entered back in, if it has, remove yourself from it and walk in the light as he is in the light. What fellowship can light have with darkness? None. And so it was to those same Corinthians that Paul then gave this communion council. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he talked about the communion service and how it ought to go and and the most the largest description of it in the New Testament. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight: let a man, let a person examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. You see, the communion meal is so much a part of the light that there's a glow upon it. And Paul is saying, don't bring darkness into it. Don't bring darkness into it. Don't try to douse the light of the Lord's table by, by you not examining what it's all about and what we're all about. Because James is pointing out a fact, a sad, terrible fact. There's some moral filth in all of us. There's some evil in all of us. There's some attachment to the godless world around us in all of us. And the communion becomes a time to to reflect upon that, to honestly examine ourselves and say, Lord, am I as separated from the evil as I should be? Am I as cleansed from things that have distressed you as I ought to be? You see, the blood, the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus 
connects us to the holiness and righteousness that characterize God himself. To link ourselves to that holiness and righteousness when we are also willfully linking ourselves to the evils of earthly society is the most grievous thing to do. It's good that we have communion every single month. We really can't get a backlog that's too big. Say, well, I haven't examined my heart for a year now. That could be a lot of work. Examining your heart month by month can be a lot of work. But the Bible is realistic enough And God doesn't look at us with rose-colored glasses on. He looks at us exactly as he knows we are, and we know we are, and we know we can be easily beset by stuff that doesn't belong in a Christian's. We can easily be dabbling in things that does not bring honor to God and does not bring joy to us, that just kind of gets in the way and messes stuff up and And something else that God knows, he knows us. But he knows the power of his grace. He knows the power that there is in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That we are told in in Hebrews, or we're told in uh, that Jesus Christ, his blood cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1.7. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. Wow, that happens when we accept him as Savior, and it happens every time we receive his death for us. And says, Lord, you've revealed some things to me. Cleanse me. We repent. We remove ourselves from things that maybe we've gotten involved in. We take this word. See, and that's the third thing. We need to... We need to recognize where we stand relative to the God-denying, God-defying society that surrounds us. And then, number three on the duty list, accept the word that's planted in you. Accept the word that God has given to you. The word of God cleanses, and the word of God brings separation whenever we submit ourselves to it. And so, surrender is necessary. Surrender, a willful action on our part. Accept these words. The word of God points the way. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 105, your word is like a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. And if the word of God is shining a path this way, then let's not walk that way. Walk where the light is, not where the darkness is. Your word is like a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. And think of these words. The word of God uncovers the truth. Hebrews 4.12 says this, the word of God is living and active. It judges. That means it accurately examines and evaluates the thoughts and attitudes of the You realize the word of God can make you a competent judge of your own self. You don't need somebody else judging you, do you? You don't need a preacher knocking on your door and saying, I got something I got to talk to you about. No, because usually that does no good. It's the word of God in the hands of the spirit of God that makes you the evaluator of your own self. 
And then you can say, oh God, I need to step away from that. Oh God, there are things in my life that are just not honoring to you, so you step away from it. Exactly what James says to do. And so we come to this final thought here. Jesus Christ now is the living word. The written word of God in human flesh. Jesus is the living word. When we accept him, whose life is being formed within us. Let's do that anew. When when you take the bread and you take the cup this morning, accept Jesus in a fresh way. He, whose life is being formed in you, do not, now hear this one good, do not just accept God's forgiveness. That's a partial gospel. Ah, no matter what you do, God will forgive you. That's true. No no matter how I continue to live, God will forgive me. Well, yes. But if all you do is accept God's forgiveness, that just puts you in the hamster cage of sinning, forgiving, sinning, forgiving, sinning, forgiven, and there's no maturing in Christ at all. There's no joy in your life. There's no peace in your life. There's no sense of God working in your life. Don't just accept God's forgiveness. Submit yourself to Christ and to his call upon your life. Today when we take the communion, the bread, Jesus said, this is my body which was given for you. Let that piece of bread represent the the life of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ that can nourish you and give you strength and newness. Jesus said this cup. Why, this is the new covenant in my blood, the blood that was shed by which we can be forgiven. But also, the Bible says now the life of the flesh is in the blood. The blood contains the life of Christ. And he said it's the new covenant. It is the new life, the doorway to it. So when you receive it, you say, oh, Lord Jesus, I am... I desire to walk through that door of salvation and I I desire to put my feet on that narrow path and I desire to eliminate from myself by your spirit all things that do not belong and remove myself from all things to which I should not belong or be. And Lord Jesus, just lead me into the fullness of the kingdom. If that can happen, if it happens for you, This day will be awesome. Our Heavenly Father, it's a sad thing. Sad thing for me, it's a sad thing for all of us to realize there's work to do in us. To realize we're still fallible. We have a sin nature that loves to just take over. And this world puts us in situations where where the sin nature has opportunity to rise up within us, to lead us to say things, to do things, to think things that are anything but the things that Jesus would say and think and do. And Father, sometimes when we've done them, those things put us on a path that it's hard to turn around from. So Father, I pray by your grace today, that we might be able as a whole church, as individuals, to to rid ourselves of moral impurity, 
James called it filth. And to also rid ourselves of the evil that is so prevalent in our world all around us. And we ask you for this in We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.